thinking sideways. I don't understand. Does not compute. You never know. What? Stories of things we simply don't know the answer to. Well, hi there, and welcome to Thinking Sideways, the podcast. I am Steve, as always. I'm joined by my co-hosts. Devin. And Joe. And today we, uh, we've we got a, another... Actually, it's not another. This is actually a really complex mystery that we're going to go into. This is... I would say this is the first time we've done anything like this. Yeah, and this is... I know... This is uh, this is a, a, a tough case. Yeah. I know it, it it made Devin uncomfortable a number yeah. of times. You were not happy researching I'm not, this. I'm not, I'm not, and it. it you usually it, like the murder. What's I what's usually I usually do. I just think there there's something about this case as a young female mm. that is, you know, and granted, I am not of the similar situation of this case that we're going to talk about, but just there's mm. something, you know, like I can totally do the like random unsolved kind of mysterious murders. But like when we're talking about something like this, yeah, you know, actually it just like, makes me <clears throat> researching this. Uh, I don't know if you guys ever watched that show. It was on for two seasons years ago. Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. Do you ever I watch that not. show? No. I, I did see some of it. Yes. Yeah. It's about this bucolic little town you know, up in Washington. And, uh, and it's like, you know, a little small town, everything's nice and everything, but then there's just all this stuff going on underneath the surface. Yeah. I mean, a yeah. lot of like murder, a lot of just intrigue, yeah. so, all kinds of people who really surprise you. You know, you thought they were, they were just you know, regular folks. And with that's that, kind of uh, what this reminds me of. With, with that very descriptive introduction, before we get into oh, things, I want to tell everybody right now that the story that we're going to talk about involves multiple murders and some very graphic things. So if that's not your deal, if or if you've got kids around right now, you should probably either skip this one or listen to you know listen to it later. Yeah, because it's it, this that's... is this is a rough one. It is. Yeah. A, it's a. Yeah. It has the potential to be a rough one. Yeah. And and the story that we're going to talk about is the Jefferson Davis eight, or you've also it's heard also it's also referred to as the Jennings eight. Yeah. And yeah. and this was this is this is not a small story. So again, this is kind of one of those we've all taken it on together to Kinda, try to work yeah. through this and solve it, which we uh, will do. I, yeah. I I've got to tell you right on the uh, on the outset, Joe, we're not going to solve this. This one. one even more than any of the other times you ever say that. I well, we could solve this in high level terms. There were eight murders. Okay, well, don't get ahead of yourself no, no, with your, with your solution did it. here, Joe. Somebody did it. Can you, can you, okay. Am I wrong? <laughs> <laughs> okay. You're right. Somebody did it. Yes. Okay. All right, so uh, what we're going to do here is is, is we're going to do this in a couple of different parts. So this is going to be set up a little bit differently than a normal episode. Is We're going to kind of break down some of the players that are involved and some of the facts. Uh, the person that did the most investigation on this story is a man by the name of Ethan Brown. And Ethan Brown, he wrote uh, a great article about this, and it was on me. It's on Medium. And we're, we actually were lucky enough to talk to him. And so we've got a, yeah. a pretty good lengthy interview where he's going to walk through a lot of this stuff with you. Mm-hmm. And then we'll, we'll talk about some other stuff after that. But I just kind of want to, before we get to that interview, let's lay down some groundwork. Yeah. So, oh, and by and, the way, he's uh, Ethan Brown is writing a book about this very topic. He is. Which y'all are probably... 
probably going to go out and get a copy of it. Probably are. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it would probably be helpful to mention on the outset, you may or may not know our website. We always post stuff, but uh, Steve has made this kind of flowchart graphic description of what's going on. So if you want to check out that document, it's a you can download it as a PDF. We're going to make it available to you. So right now, go to thinkingsidewayspodcast.com. You can just you know click on it, check the PDF, or print it out, or whatever yep. you want. Yeah, it's, it it's may actually help. help you track this if that's something. A lot of you listen while you're at work, whatever. So don't worry about it. We're going to do the best we can. But if you are interested, you should do that now. Yeah, absolutely. You know, print out your like little Annie, orphan Annie. Yeah, hit the, pa- <laughs> hit, hit the pause button. Uh, hopefully, your printer can handle eleven by seventeen paper. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, if you view little... it online, it's easy. But yeah. no, it, it, yeah. it, I, I, we made this in knowing that this was a complicated case, and this is the first time we've had to do this, and I think it's going to really help. Okay. Okay. So now that you've downloaded the PDF. Okay. So okay. Here, let's let's start out, um, and we'll just kind of take this in. Each person will kind of take a bif- different piece. So I'll go ahead and I'll start off with our victims, no. and there are eight victims, primary victims, and these are eight different women. And plus, those plus two other corpses. Well, yes. This is why we're just not talking yeah. about right now. We're just going to name off our primary victims. The eight. The eight. And they were murdered between 2005 to 2009. And and on the outset, again, if we haven't said this, these murders are unsolved. Yeah. And, and by the way, this is this is in, in uh, Jennings, Louisiana, a little small town of about, what, 10,000 people? About 10,000, yeah. Now, I'm thinking about this. Now, we live in, we live in Portland. Mm-hmm which averages about 20 murders a year. Mm-hmm. And Portland is infinitely larger than Jennings, Louisiana. <laughs> much larger, much larger, yeah. yeah. That's the first yeah. town that size. That's a hell of a lot of murder. Yeah. yeah, and I guess that there's, so there's the eight. This is getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah. Let's talk about yeah. the eight. Let's just yeah. talk about the eight. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to just uh, list them off in chronological order. Okay. On May 20th, 2005, the body of Lynn Lewis was found. We're doing chronological of discovery, right? Of discovery, okay. yes, yes. Uh, thank you for clarifying that yeah. because we don't know the exact dates, so these are all discoveries of the body. Not right. precisely when they were murdered. But, yep, and also they might have committed suicide and just made it look like murder. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So next we have Ernestine Patterson, whose body was discovered on June eighteenth of two thousand five. We have Kristen Lopez, whose body was found on March eighteenth of two thousand seven. Whitney Dubois, who was found on May 17th, 2007. Laconia Brown was found on May 29th of 2008. Crystal Zen, is it Zeno or Zeno? I think it's Zeno. I think it's Zeno. Yeah, Zeno. Zeno was September 11, 2008, was found. Brittany Gary was found on November 11 of 2008. And then lastly, Nicole Guillory was found on August 19th of 2009. And they're all young women. The youngest, I believe, was 17 yeah. and the oldest was 30 years old. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they're, yeah. they're in a very, a very pretty tight age range. And we'll just talk a little bit about the murder victims themselves in this town. 
It's rampant with drug use. Yeah, they uh, all knew each other. They all knew each other. There's yeah. prostitution <clears throat> is known to have taken place. And, and these, these girls were all prostitutes at one time it, or another. It, it is believed that they were all prostitutes. I'm not yeah. going to 100% say I'm not going to cast aspersions on the dead. But they were also all known to uh, frequent mm-hmm. the same place, which... Is it the uh, Joe? Help me with the pronunciation. Bordeaux. I is it Bordeaux? I think it, no, I think it's Boudreaux. Boudreaux. That's it's it. Boudreaux, thank you. The Boudreaux it, Inn, which, which oh, by the way, is yeah. closed. Is closed down now. Yes, and and this will this will the Boudreaux will in will come up in our interview with Ethan. Mm-hmm. So again, we're just kind of laying these things out. But the inn was. It sounded like a a tin building that operated as a hotel. So it yeah, wasn't the highest class establishment. Sounds like a pretty. It wasn't yeah. a Motel Eight. Yeah, not not even up to that high standard. Yeah. yeah, I know. And and there was a lot of basically it was kind of a den of iniquity. A lot of drug use, a lot of prostitution going on, mm-hmm. there, things like that. And, well, and Mr. Brown will talk about this a little bit. But Jennings is a place that's very divided. Mm-hmm. There's the north side and the south side, which are divided, divided by, by the railroad literal tracks. railroad tracks. Yep. Mm-hmm. And the south side is apparently a den of kind of people who are on in a much lower economic class. Lots of prostitution, drug use, crime. Doing uh, what you think you have to do to get by is yeah. the night is the, the best way I can think of to say. Yeah. I, I did a little uh, street tour actually. I got on Google Maps and did a, just got on Google, got on Street View and just buzzed around the streets a little bit of, of the north part of town. And it doesn't mm-hmm. look that bad, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and then I got to tried to go to the south, and apparently the Google car was afraid to go there. <laughs> <laughs> There's not even Google Street View pictures. No, of actually south. there are. I'm, I'm lying a little bit there, but uh, yeah. So there are also three cops that are closely tied to this case. Well, there, I think this, right. I think that, I think it's three cops that that come up the most is, yeah. and you might want to talk about the task force a little bit. There, there is a task force. Combined, it's like local cops. It's local and cops, FBI, and county cops, and state cops. And, is the FBI yeah. on there? I wasn't clear on that. Theoretically, they're involved, theoretically, yes. but they're a local branch of the FBI, right? Mm-hmm. It's not local office, yes. Yeah, so these people all know each other, um, but the three main cop players that are kind of brought up that are really tied into the case. Um, the well, first one, I, I, not tied into the sense. We should stress that that there's there's any indication that they have any real they've actually got involvement in the murders nefarious but yeah but, well, but okay. there's there's questionable actions we'll talk yeah, about this a yeah. little bit well and let me let me preface what Joe said there and I don't know we're we're pretty deep in this and that's why I want us to back up a little bit because yeah. for our listeners. I don't know about you two, but I've had my head deep in this story for three weeks to the point that I've been talking about this story to everybody I know to the point that I know that uh, my boss is tired of hearing about it. My fiance is tired of hearing about it. My (laughs) friends are tired of hearing. But the FBI wants to talk to you. But they want to talk to (laughs) you. But we're so deep in this is that I think that what we need to get across before we get too much into the cops is this is a very tiny, a very small town yeah. and everybody knows everybody. Mm-hmm. And so when we're talking about these people and we're going to make connections, it's because if you've ever known anybody or you've ever lived it, who's in a small town, everybody knows everybody and everybody's connected. Yeah. And that's, that's the point of what I think is the reason that we're bringing up these, these yeah, particular yeah, And they have, they have very defined actions that connect them to the case. It may yeah. not be murders, but I'm I'm going to talk about that right now. So Paula Guillory, she was a deputy 
um, in Jennings for a while. Uh, she is no longer a deputy. She has since been fired. She was part of the task force. Uh, and she was charged with managing the evidence in a case against a guy named Frankie Richard, who we're going to talk about in a minute, because about $4,000 was missing after it was cataloged. It just went missing out of evidence. So she was um, actually, accused of taking that money. Yeah, and I, it was actually when she was turning it in to be cataloged, that's when it came up missing. Yeah, and the, and I know that Ethan talked a little bit about this, so we'll get a little bit into the nitty-gritty of that. Um, but she was fired for theft and um, claims of tampering with the evidence or theft of evidence. Mm-hmm. And she was at one time married to a man named Terry Guillory. Also a cop. Also a cop, who was actually the warden at the local jail, who is cousins with one of the... Murder victims. Murder victims. Yeah. The, the seventh. The seventh murder victim. So he was the warden at a local jail, and he was alleged to have tricked out female inmates, which I guess means... That pimp. means you put really cool accessories on them. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, he, he, he was... Uh, it's essentially he was pimping them out. Yeah. yeah. Which is not a good thing to have somebody in a position of authority doing. No. Agreed. Yeah, that kind of stuff happens, though. And then Officer Warren Gary, who, as far as we can tell, has no actual relation to Brittany Gary, who was victim number six, if you're keeping track. And he, I don't want to get too deep into it, but he purchased a truck that was probably evidence and then detailed it, thus negating any evidence that would have been in said truck. And he purchased it from... Warden Terry Guillory. Actually, but, he brokered this. Guillory brokered the sale. He actually bought it from somebody right, who was right, in right. jail Sorry. for passing bad checks. And, and right. that, that evidence, just so we can tie back to our victims, would be it's in, related to the Lopez murder, which is victim right. number three. Yeah. So those are the three main police officers that we're, we'll talk about a little bit in, in regards to this case. Okay, now we've talked about the the Pulitzer, the Popo, <laughs> yeah, the Fuzz. Uh, let's talk about some of the other local characters. Uh, there's a, there's a guy that's kind of at the center of a lot of this stuff, whose name is Frankie Richard. Frankie's an older guy, and he's been around the block a few times. He is got, has got his fingers in a lot of pies in Jennings. Mm-hmm. He uh, is rumored, alleged to uh, to be a, a major pimp, and it's it's rumored that he actually pimped out all the women who were murdered. All but one, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was Which, he. He yeah, it was all but one of them he had pimped out. Yeah, uh, he's involved in various other things, like for example. Um, the raid where uh, Paula Guillory, the, the policewoman... That we just talked about, yeah. That mm-hmm. got her in hot water was a raid on his house. So he and a bunch of other people in, in, this, in, in this particular instance had been running this ring where they, they broke into people's homes and stole stuff, including cash and coins and jewelry and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And so they raided, including, including Paula Guillory and some other people, they raided his home and, and uh, arrested a few people and confiscated a bunch of material including the evidence that she was supposed to turn in, $4,000 was turned up missing. So that was all, that was all Frankie Richard. So he's, he's been involved in a lot of this. And if you, talk to, uh, if you talk to Ethan Brown, Ethan Brown actually spent a lot of time hanging out with Frankie Richard. He's kind, of the, he's kind of the crime kingpin of Jennings. Yeah, he doesn't, Which, he doesn't sound like the kind of guy I'd want to sit around and have a beer with. No. Is, I've watched interviews with him, and he... Is he creepy? 
He's is creepy the word to use? I creepy is is the word that I would use, but in the way that it's unsettling to talk to people who might not be all the way there. Generally, oh, you mean a, a long-term drug user? This, yeah, somebody who's been using drugs for a long time, and they're talking. Just, he's talking, and, and he's they're seem to be lucid, but stuff. But he's just not. There's something there it's just like you know like a there's a wire that's not totally connected he's not in that weird well the guy it's hard to describe he he himself admitted to like decades of drug yeah. of drug abuse and alcohol abuse well he it definitely yeah and and yeah. i i, 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 told, I unfortunately yeah. just because of where i grew up i know a lot of people like mm-hmm. that and so i can i totally understand what you're saying where, there's where you something just, you there's... talk to somebody and you're like eh. It's, I guess it's that, like, there's, like, a bit of, like, emotional connection that seems to be missing. And, and I, I also think that it's the, the the loose wire that you talked about. Yeah. I actually think it's not loose. It's connected to the wrong spot. And yeah. they make a lot of weird, rapid jumps. Yeah. And, and that's through... It's, that, that's, it's that's, unsettling. That's a lot of heavy drug uses. It, those are the people that I've always found were like that. They just... Mm-hmm. They skip back and forth. It's, yeah. it's like the, a needle on a record yeah, that I've is known... in a car driving down the road. It's just bouncing yeah. around. I've known people like that. And, you know, again, we'll, we'll post a yeah. link to a video of an interview with him, but it's, uh, yeah, sorry, not no, to, like, go no, off on a no, tangent. No, 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 that's fine, that's fine, but, yeah, anyway, so... He creeps me out. So we talked about Frankie Richard, just another aside about Frankie. He was, he was actually, uh, they actually tried to put him on trial for one of the murders, uh, because somebody named, that's another character I'm going to introduce here now, Tracy, uh, Chason, uh, is a, a person who, a female person, who claims that she saw... Frankie and his uh, god niece Hannah Connor murder Dubois, which who was which one? She was the fourth victim, fourth. I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So Tra- Tracy actually claimed to have seen Frankie Richard murder a couple of different people, and then of course I, I mentioned Hannah Car- Hannah Connor. That is again Richard's god niece, and they spent some time hanging out together. Uh, in terms of the Dubois murder, which of course Frankie didn't never actually got tried for because for lack of evidence. Um, she claimed that she was sitting around getting high with Dubois, Hannah, Hannah Connor, Frankie Richard, and herself. And uh, Frankie made a move on Dubois, wanted to like have sex with her. She refused, so he got angry, beat her up, and then supposedly Hannah Connor and Hannah Connor held her down and, and they drowned her. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that works exactly. You pour seven up down her throat until she can't breathe anymore. But I don't want to. So, uh, yeah, no, mm-hmm. we won't go into the grisly so details. Anyway. But let's just say that uh, she was found next to um, what's it's canal because the area it's in Louisiana, so it's surrounded uh-huh. by canals, mm-hmm. and uh-huh. they drowned her. She mm-hmm. she was drowned, and and actually yeah. that brings up one thing that I I did forget to mention uh, when we were talking about our victims is that. Six of our eight victims, we don't have a confirmed cause of death. They were too, their bodies were too decomposed. They were too decomposed. They believe it was asphyxia, but they can't confirm that. And then the other two, which this is terrible, but the other two, they know the cause of death because their throats were cut. Uh Slit. Yes, slit. So, so, yeah. yeah. So I I just, because Mm -hmm. that one, I know they talked about drowning this particular individual okay now speaking of uh speaking of some of the other characters involved there's a couple of guys uh byron jones and lawrence nixon 
who are um, just, just general ne'er-do-wells who hung around Jennings. They were charged for Patterson's murder. Patterson was the second, uh, the second victim. She was discovered in 2006? No, Five. 2007? Five. 2005. Oh, 2005, yeah. okay. So they were charged with her murder, but the charges were dropped due to lack of evidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just a Which lot is of a re- reoccurring theme. They're just, yeah, there's not a lot of evidence. And, yeah, and so, and, and either these guys are really good, but, or, uh, you know, covering up evidence, or, you know, I guess if you toss the body somewhere and it's not found for a long time, but by the time they find the body, all the evidence has sort of been washed away, you mm-hmm. know? And so, Connie Seiler, so she was the last one to see Lopez alive. Lopez was the third victim. And she was involved with this pickup truck that was brokered by this one cop to another cop who bought it. And yada, we'll get yeah, into which, that little, which we talked about just we'll a, a little bit little ago. Later. But she was peripherally involved because of her pickup truck, maybe. Uh, she used the money from that sale to pay off a bunch of bad checks and get herself out of trouble. So those are just some of the other major players. Do you now, want... let's, let's talk about a couple of the... Because uh, I know you, in the beginning, you mentioned that there's some other murders. Yeah. Uh, and when we talk to Ethan, and this will come up in the interview, is that there is a huge murder rate and there's a huge unsolved murder rate, but mm. or number of murders, but it's there's a, a couple... It's a low clearance rate. It's, yeah, low clearance rate is a good way to put it. Yeah. There's a couple of other uh, facts that you should probably know before we get too far along, although we're already pretty far along. Uh, there is a death of a local man who is Leonard Crochet, and he died in, on, in April of 2005. Uh, Crochet was, uh, was killed in, the term is, uh, has been dubbed a botched police raid. So there was a bunch of people at a house. They were all doing drugs. The cops came in. And, and apparently the electricity had been cut off. Yeah, there was no electricity. And, so and when the cops were there, there. And he, for reasons unknown, the cops opened fire in the middle of this, what was otherwise a peaceful drug raid. Yes. And killed this man. And killed this man. And there have been theories posited that these women, we know for sure at least one of the victims was there. One of them was, yeah. But it's been posited that they all knew something about that police shooting. And that was the reason that they were all targeted. They were all friends, you know. Yeah, Yeah, and in a small town, everybody talks. They won't talk to the cops, but they'll Mm -hmm. talk to each other, and they will share information and spread rumors like wildfire. Yeah, although I got to tell you, though, I... um... Uh, I really don't buy into that theory personally. No, I, I think I think that's weak sauce. But I I want to put it out there so people yeah, are people aware of that, that one. Claim, but yeah, uh, there is there's there's two other deaths that I want to talk about. Uh, one of them is in relation to the fourth victim, which is Whitney Dubois, and there was a man by the name of Harvey Bird Dog Berrier. I believe I'm pronouncing that right. I, I think it's either Burley or Burley. Uh, I yeah, think it's I'm, Burley. I think it's Burley. Okay, we'll go with that. Everything's kind of yeah. French in Louisiana. Uh, yeah, and that's I, I'm so, not good with French. Yeah. I never no, took no, it. We'll just, we'll just call him Bird Dog. Yeah, so Bird Dog was, uh, was shot to death. Nope. Stabbed, stabbed to death. Stabbed. Yeah. You're right. He was stabbed to death. I don't know why. I'm on a shooting thing, evidently. Yeah. Uh, he was stabbed to death after... Uh, telling people that he was close to figuring out who was responsible for the Dubois killing. 
Whitney Dubois. Whitney Dubois. Yeah. Uh, so he died because of that, and his murder has never been solved. Well, not necessarily because of that, but it is a little suspicious. It well, is. again, <laughs> it's, it's you draw one to another. He's walking around town telling everybody he's working on the case and he's figuring out, and then suddenly he's stabbed to death. Stab, stab, stab. That's well, a little weird. Well, yeah. Well. Uh, and then another victim that's on the periphery that I want to talk about is... Russell Carrier? Is, is it, it Carrier? Or Carrier. 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 Okay, we'll just say Carrier, and we'll probably be wrong on that, but Russell yeah. Carrier, uh, he, after Crystal Zeno, did, how did we... Anyway, we Crystal... Said it was Zeno. Crystal After Zeno. the Zeno murder, he reported seeing three men leaving the woods. Leaving the woods where the body was found. Yep, leaving the woods where the body was found. And... And, and he said that he had spotted these three men, and it is a man by the name of Irvin Tyson Morton, mm. Eugene Dog Ivory... And Ricardo Tiger Williams. And those middle names are all nicknames. They are, the yes. They, yeah, yeah that's that's wondering. a good thing to say. Those, and, those and are their by nicknames. The way, and by the way, they are all close associates of Frankie Richard. Mm-hmm. Who and is, all people the task force had um, named as suspects in the Lopez homicide. Uh, well, yeah. actually, no. Um, Irvin was the only one that had been specifically, that I oh. know of, had specifically all been right, targeted in the Lopez murder. But they're all, as Joe said, they're all associates yeah. of uh, Richard. Oh, Frankie Richard. And here's here's the th- the weird thing is that, um, is Russell, his cause of death was he laid down in front of a train. Yeah, I know. That's a, that's one of my uh, favorite napping spots is on railroad tracks, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so he was snoozing on the tracks, and a train came along and killed him. Mm-hmm. So nothing suspicious about that. No. Definitely, <laughs> no, no, that's <laughs> totally normal. Totally yeah. And I think, normal. you know, some people said, oh, yeah, it was a suicide, but, like, no... I don't know that there's any documented cases of somebody laying in front of a train. People do it, you know, but... But you freak out, right? You have your last minute of, like, <sighs> you're just, like, primal, whatever, we're going to escape I, this. I the just people think that, it would be I a really ugly way to that, go. That, that commit suicide via train jump usually in jump it. in yeah, front of it. Yeah, they don't just lay down. Yeah. Because I mean, when you're laying down, you know, your natural inclination is to think about things. So that, it's, yeah. it's very it's like, suspicious. Yeah, jumping in front of a train, you know, suicide by train is very common in places like Japan, but in places like Louisiana, guns are pretty plentiful. It's mm-hmm. really, it's, it'd be a lot easier and quicker to grab a 12-gauge and stick it in your mouth. Or yeah. the bayou. I mean, yeah. you know, you just run out to one of those canals. There's... Feed yourself to the fishes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you can yeah. Do all, yeah. A so lot of ways to do it. Definitely better, quicker, easier ways than laying down on the tracks. So, okay, I think, are, are we all in agreement that we've kind of laid out a, the, as a skeleton overview the case? Mm-hmm. Yeah, do and, we want to just like quickly mention that a couple of the eight were uh, interviewed about murders that happened previous to their murders. That's, that's actually yeah. probably a very good thing. So Kristen Lopez, who there's a lot of connections. She seems to be one of the like she, big, more connected of Yeah, the she's eight. kind of a hot spot. Yeah, she was interviewed about the um, Lynn Lewis murder, which was the first body that they found. Mm-hmm. And then, I guess, just not so long after she was interviewed, she was murdered. Mm-hmm. And then Brown who was the fifth person to be found, was interviewed about the Patterson murder, which was the second murder, or the second body to have been found. Mm -hmm. Again, we don't totally know when the murders happened. Mm -hmm. We know when they were found. Mm -hmm. Um, So she was interviewed about that. And then, you know, if you kind of add the bird dog and 
uh, Russell. Right. Potential murders in with that. I guess that would that'd be about four people who were interviewed or said something about the case. Well, and, and I think this would come up the, I think that Ethan talked Ethan about this. Ethan does talk the, about this, is and that, it's much clearer. But it's much clearer, but they, they to all, lay a foundation. all knew each other, were all wrapped up in it. And it's um, uh, also been posited, or it's also been said that they were all informants for the local police. And that's, thank you, Joe, because that's <clears> right <throat> where I was going, is that yeah. these ladies were all supposedly informants. Mm. Uh, I think the, the, the clearest case, I believe it was... Uh, um, Nicole Guillory, mm-hmm. she had a pretty serious rap sheet, and she had a lot of things on her rap sheet, but she, the DA decided not to follow it. And Joe, do you remember the phrase for when you're an informant and they don't want to follow through because you're an informant? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't remember the I phrase. I don't remember. The, yeah. There's a phrase, it's a Latin phrase, but essentially what it means is that we don't want to follow through because you're our informant and we don't want to get you out of the field because then we're not getting information out of you anymore. And all these women had things like that against them where Mm. eh, cops just like, Oh no, we don't, we don't want to pursue that case. So yeah, uh, you beat that guy with an ax handle. Uh, well that's okay. That, that John deserved it. We don't want to follow that case. Yeah. Literally cases like that. So yeah. So one of the things that I suspect with these, if if, if they were all informing to the local police, if, uh, you know, and, and it appears that Jennings actually had really kind of a crime syndicate. There's kind of a mafia there and they probably had at least one mole inside the police department, mm-hmm. which means that if you're informing on members of the crime syndicate, then the mole gets the information back to the crime syndicate. That would be possibly a factor, and you're getting murdered somewhere later on down the line. Yeah, I feel like all these women were informing, and I'm sure there was a mole, at least one corrupt cop inside, inside who was you know, passing information along to the criminals. Mm-hmm. I a little bit feel like we should talk about a lot of this police stuff that we're talking about mm-hmm. is our our recent revelations based around. Ethan Brown's investigation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I think that a little bit we should say for a long time, people thought that there was just a really crazy serial killer on the loose in Jennings. Um, Absolutely. Wacky that it was killers. one person who yeah. was killing a lot of people. And it's still, you know, it's <clears throat> t- still totally plausible that it's just one person, mm-hmm. but that that person, you know, was on a killing spree from 2005 to 2009 and moved away. You know, I've even seen, I've seen a lot of stuff in my research um, just looking through, like, you know, looking through threads on Reddit or looking at other kind of uh, internet investigation places where people kind of talk, you know, on forums. And a lot of people say, oh, yeah, the Jennings case, the Jennings eight are connected to this serial killer that they apprehended in California two years later. And it was just like that this person was passing through there. Mm-hmm. So was, I think it's he was very passing through and just decided to stick around for about four years and murder yeah. people. And then... Well, I think it's important to, to mention that for a really long time. That was the assumption, including the task force's assumption. That's their primary was focus. That there's just a crazy serial killer killing prostitutes Which in Jennings. Which is not an outrageous assumption. Really. I agree with that. Yeah, yeah, it's not. But it might not necessarily be the case. There might be multiple murders. Mm-hmm. I know that Frankie Richard accused one of the local cops of, of, of being responsible for the murders. Because, mm-hmm. And I can't remember the cop's name, and I don't want to repeat it because I don't want to slander anybody who's dead. Right. But, this guy um, apparently was a little bit kinky and known to, known to frequent the prostitutes of Jennings. And uh, 
When he, he liked the ladies. He did, and uh, and when he died, the murder stopped. Now Frankie Richard, so Frankie Richard claims that it was probably him, but at the same time, Ethan Brown, for example, thinks doesn't place a lot of credibility in that. He yeah. thinks that he's how yeah. he doesn't. He thinks he's, he believes that just, that cop possibly is involved in one of the murders, but not all of them. Yeah. So I think I just think it's really important to talk about the fact that until <clears throat> Brown published his article, really. In terms of the coverage that this was getting nationwide, it was always a serial killer. It's just a serial killer. Mm-hmm. Mm. No, that's that's a very good point to make, and thank you. I I, I think totally we missed that. There, I totally forgot to bring that I up. Think, so that's perfect. I think you know while we're kind of talking, what we're talking about all this police corruption, but that police corruption didn't really come to light until I guess. I when did the article come out? It was in 2010, 2011. No, later than that. No, no, no. Ethan's article came out relatively recently. Recently. I'm sorry. I'm getting my dates. Yeah. And and by the way, uh, I I know I mentioned his book earlier, but he's been, he's still, since reading that art, writing that article, has been still on the case Mm -hmm. and talked to a lot more people and says uh, that he's uncovered a lot more stuff. Yeah. So, so that, and that, unfortunately coming out. Yeah. So what what we're going to do I think at this point it's a good time to yeah. to 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 bring in our interview. Uh, so we were lucky enough like I said before to to talk to Ethan. Uh, mm. un- there's a couple of things. So I know Devin, uh, ironically enough, mm. couldn't be here Shocking. because yeah. she was in court. Uh, uh, she was actually not, uh, luckily was, she was, got off. She, no. was, uh, yeah, she got a good lawyer. And, I was yeah. on a jury. Yeah. She I was deciding someone's fate. Uh, so like, so but yeah. So Devin wasn't able to to join us, but Joe and I did talk to and him. And I have reviewed the interview. Yeah. Uh, and there's a couple of things that I want to say, which is uh, Ethan. We do bounce around a little bit and we we tried to take it in order but this case is such a tangled mess that it may feel like we're jumping around and that's not intentional we're just following threads that's why we try to lay everything out yeah because it's already even just in this last you know 30 minutes that we've been trying yeah, to however long this, we've been talking about it it's, it's a mess you okay. can tell already absolutely it's the other and it's, it's by the way i i believe that these murders are never going to be solved yeah the the yeah. other thing i will tell you is uh uh you know usually we get really lucky when we're recording an interview. Unfortunately, <laughs> our phone connection <laughs> on this interview wasn't the best, and that's going to happen. There's just nothing we can do to control that. So there are times that the audio is a little rough, and we've done what we could to clean that up. So bear with us as as the interview plays out. Sometimes it gets a little funny. That's what happens when you record a phone call. Uh, but with that having been said, let's go ahead and let's talk to Ethan, and then we'll we'll talk some more about the case. All right. Okay. So to start off with, what I was kind of hoping is, because this story's pretty convoluted is the, the best description that I can come up with. I was hoping you could kind of walk us through the story a little bit just to, to help kind of uh, illustrate it for our listeners. Sure. Um, I'll... I'll, I'll walk you through the bare bones version of it first. Perfect. Um, so, so from 2005 to, to 2009, the bodies of eight female prostitutes were found um, in swamps and kind of abandoned roads and 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 wooded areas of a town called Jennings which is the parish seat of Jefferson Davis Parish in Louisiana. Um, 
in Louisiana, what we have is parishes, not counties. So in other states, you would have, like I'm from Maryland, you would have Montgomery County, for example, right? Right. So in, in Louisiana, you have parishes. So uh, Jennings is the parish seat of Jefferson Davis Parish. And Jefferson Davis Parish is a tiny parish in the very, very far west uh, corner of Louisiana. Would that be like uh, by it's Texas? Only about 30, it's exactly. It's very close to, to Texas. Um, and the population is only about 30,000 for the entire parish. And the population of Jennings is about 10,000, so it's even smaller. Yeah, so, again, oh, what's that? Oh, I was just say I uh, took a little a little street tour on Google Street View yesterday, and it's not a bad looking little town. Um, but uh, I noticed there was right. nobody there was nobody out and about. It was like you see cars driving. I only saw one human being on a sidewalk. It was kind of scary. Right. It, it, it's a very very small town, and what's interesting about it is that the it's it's a it, it's a very divided town. The north side of Jennings has things like the library, the courthouse, a few car dealerships, you know, sort of typical small town stuff, right? Yeah. The south side, which is actually divided by railroad tracks, so the cliche across the tracks. It usually is, is true. It's completely true here. The south side, uh, conversely, is abandoned homes. Trailer park, very, very small, um, single-family homes, uh, and things like that. So it's, it's quite different than the north side. Oh, is it a, like kind of a race, racially segregated town? I mean, is it like you know, blacks and whites? No, and it's not, and that's also what's interesting. It, it, it's, a, it's segregated by class. Um, Southside Jennings is actually African-American and white. And when you talk to folks, I've actually been doing, I have a, a book deal to write a book about this case. I've been doing a lot of a lot more investigation since the article came out. And you hear phrases used by South Side residents to talk about the North Side, like high class, highfalutin, and things like that. So it, it's a class divide. It's not a race divide. Uh-huh. Um, South Side Jennings is very racially mixed, actually. So you have these two separate sides of the town. And South Side Jennings is where all of these women who were killed, uh, were from. So the very bare bones uh, uh, sketch of, of this story is that from 2005 to 2009, eight female prostitutes, all from the south side of Jennings, uh, were killed, and their bodies were dumped either in canals, on, on kind of uh, dirt roads, or in wooded areas uh, in and around Jennings. So, um, and, and, all, and it's important to note, obviously, that every single one of the murders is unsolved. Um, at one time, very briefly, charges were brought in one of the cases, the case of a woman named Kristen Gary Lopez, who was murdered in 2007, and charges were brought against the very notorious pimp on the south side, and Frankie Richard. And, but those charges were very quickly dropped. So all of the homicides are unsolved. The, the charges against Richard, uh, those are based on, what's her name? Is it Tracy Chasson? Tracy Chasson, yes. Chess- Tracy Chasson is very interesting. She's the cousin of the first victim, whose name is Loretta Chasson. 
And um, she was for a very long time a pimp, I'm sorry, a prostitute working for Richard the pimp. And the, the, the reason, it's not entirely clear why the charges against Richard were dropped, but it appears to be that she provided inconsistent statements uh, to police regarding that homicide. Yeah. Now she um, she she originally told the police that she had witnessed uh, Richard and Hannah Connor murder Kristen Lopez uh, next to a canal. Is correct. That correct. Yeah. And, That's uh, correct. And Hannah Connor is a kind of a god niece of Frankie Richard, who is also very close with with, with all the murdered women. Yeah. And so um, the uh, was it Tracy? Ch- is it Chasson? That's yeah. Okay, Tracy Chasson. And now she was the source. Was she the source also of the accusation about the pickup truck? No, she was not. Oh, okay. Um, in 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 2007, and I wrote about this a bit in my piece. A, a, a detective with the Jennings Police named Jesse Ewing interviewed two female inmates who provided statements uh, to him in which they they talked about Hannah Connor confessing her involvement in at least uh, one of the homicides, and I, and I think perhaps two as well. And they all, I mean, inmates also said that Connor confessed to them that Frankie Richard worked with actually the chief criminal investigator of the Jefferson Davis Parish Sheriff's Office, a guy named Warren Gary, to dispose of DNA evidence in the Kristen Gary Lopez homicide. Yeah, but the but she supposedly was murdered by the banks of the canal where she was found, correct? That's according to the Shafton statement. It's not clear that that's correct. Yeah, I see. It's a complicated little town. It seems like everybody was informing on everybody. It's a, it's a very complex town, but the more time I spend there, the more I realize that it's it's a town that's very much doomed by its geography, meaning that Jennings is literally like if you're driving on I-10, I, and a big highway that connects um, Houston to New Orleans. If you're driving on I-10, it's like a driveway kind of off I-10. It's literally on the highway. And I stand in that area is a major, major drug trafficking uh, route. And the, the amount of drugs coming through Jennings and around Jennings is staggering. And it's cocaine, it's crack, it's prescription pills, it's everything. So Jennings is really, really at kind of the heart of the drug trade in that area. And I've actually, since my piece has run, I've actually talked to people who were in the drug game for a long time in Jennings. And, you know, they, they would tell me stories about, you know, oh, you know, everybody in Jennings knows that, like, you know, when you're growing up there, that the way to get money and the easiest way to get money is to make these little drug runs to Houston for cocaine or prescription pills and bring them back to Jennings. Um, and it's very easy to do. It's very available, and it's very lucrative. So 
Jennings is a tiny town that has this tiny town setting, as I'm sure you saw, like from some of the images that you looked at online. You know, you look at the downtown, and there's the post office and the library and the courthouse, and it looks like a small town that could be anywhere, but but yet it's it's really kind of a bullseye area as far as the drug trade is concerned. That's a shame. Me this sort of a side question, which is while you were there doing your investigation, did you pack heat? No, I did not. <laughs> I, I would have. Yeah, I got asked a lot of people threaten me or, you know, uh, did, did I bring down to me and whatnot uh, when I go out there. And actually, interestingly, as I was doing this piece, this has completely changed since the piece came out, but prior to the piece coming out, I was sort of looked at as a, you know, as a kind of, they're like, oh, well, you, there's a strange person, you know, coming to town a lot. Um, he's not from here. No one pays attention to what, what's going on here. Isn't it sort of interesting that this guy is coming here? You know, it was sort of, I, you know, I, I was actually treated quite well by everybody that I for this piece, including law enforcement, because they had no idea what to make of me. And I think also, just as importantly, this, this case had been covered quite a bit in the media. Um, there was CNN covered it, the New York Times covered it, and everybody covered it from the same perspective, which was there's a crazy serial killer loose in the swamps of southwest Louisiana, and that's it. And I think they just expected me to do that piece that everybody else had done. And, you know, they were quite surprised when that was not the piece that, that, I, that I did and very unhappy about that, too. So They were unhappy about that? Oh, yeah. I mean, the people in Jennings overwhelmingly, and I've heard from a lot of people, overwhelmingly were very happy about it. The DA's office, the sheriff's office, the police department were extremely unhappy about it. I bet. Yeah, extremely unhappy. Uh, yeah. So since the piece has come out, I've had to radically change how I go out there because it is, I, I, you know, there is a legitimate threat of many people out there wanting to do harm to me. Uh-huh. So since the, yeah, since the piece has come out, I've had to really limit my time out there. I meet with people in places like Lafayette or, or in Calcasieu Parish, which is a parish next to Jeff Davis Parish. So I really had to radically alter how I move out there. And in fact, for the first at least two months, maybe even three months after the piece was out, I didn't even go near there. It completely stayed away. Just I wanted to have it cool down a bit. But yeah, so now, yeah, I do uh, have to really watch myself. I don't know, though, that having a gun necessarily is going to be the best thing for me out there. I think it's more about moving in very smart ways out there when I go out there. That that makes a lot of sense. Now, um, I know that one of the things that you found when you were in your piece is there was a lot of police involvement, maybe nefarious is the word I would use, that people hadn't made the connections before? And is that kind of what really rankled the feathers? 
Yes, particularly the information that I got about Warren Gary and his involvement in disposing of the DNA evidence. In the Kristen Gary Lopez case and the other piece that made them very, very unhappy, which they're stuck with, and, uh, and, you know, and, and these people are not my witnesses, they're their witnesses, was I obtained dozens of task force interviews, witness interviews. Now, the task force is a multi-agency task force that was created in 2008 to investigate these, these homicides. And I obtained dozens of task force witness interviews. And in these witness interviews, witnesses named specific cops who they believed were involved in murders. And what so upset them about this was that for years, and going back probably to 2007 or so, when the town, when people in town started wondering about law enforcement and their potential involvement in this, law enforcement's response was, well, you're just wondering about this. You're just hearing rumors. There's nothing to it. There's nothing to this at all. Don't worry. You're just hearing rumors. And what I did was by obtaining those task force interviews where their witnesses, and I, I emphasize that a lot, it's, it's their witnesses, not my witnesses, where their witnesses name specific cops and suspects, and that upset them so much because they can no longer say it's a rumor, right? When your own witnesses are coming forward and saying, uh, for example, Deputy Danny Berry, who's a, a deputy who's actually now deceased, was involved in these homicides, then you can't say it's just some guys or girls or whoever talking on the street about Danny Berry. These yeah. are actual witness statements. That completely freaked them out. And it's now destroyed their narrative. This is the narrative that they have foisted upon this case. And, and, and this is the narrative that they desperately want the town to believe, is that anything you hear about law enforcement is just a rumor. Well, that's absolute, you know, 100% crap. And it's proven by their own witness interviews. So, you know, it was really the two pieces of, one, the, war, the statements about Warren Gary. And again, those are their witnesses, not mine. Those are witness state statements taken by the, the uh, Jennings police. And then it was to the witness statements taken by the task force where cops and sheriff's deputies are named as suspects. About, so it's really destroyed their narrative. Yeah, about, um, about how, many, how many different law enforcement personnel were named? Um, I would say about four to five. Okay, that uh, includes Warren Gary and Danny Barry. Warren Gary, Danny Berry, the the uh, former warden of the parish jail, a guy named Terry Guillory, his former wife, Paula Guillory, who was the deputy with the sheriff's office. And there's quite a few, actually. Uh -huh. and, and many of those people are very high-ranking. I mean, you're talking about Warren Gary was the chief criminal investigator for the sheriff's office, and Terry Guillory was the warden of the parish jail. Uh -huh. So uh, speaking of Paula Guillory, I was uh, kind of curious. You interviewed her. So she got fired for mishandling evidence, um, but it looks right. like yeah. And I read the sheriff's memo and everything, and it sounds he he named a whole lot of a whole list of grievances against her, uh, including losing. But I noticed they even though he fired her really quickly, there was never any investigation or prosecution. Right. 
So do you think he fired her simply for the straight-up reasons he specified or because perhaps she wasn't on board with the cover-up or perhaps on the other side maybe he thought that she was involved in the crimes and wanted her just gone? You know, it's really hard to say because there's a lot of competing narratives about Paula Guillory, including from Paula Guillory herself. I interviewed her for my piece briefly, and she claimed to me that the, the missing evidence that she was fired for was evidence seized in a raid on Frankie Richard, and Frankie Richard's the prime suspect in, in several of these case, uh, murders. From Frankie, uh, This was a raid on Frankie Richard's house. Uh-huh. So she told me that she turned on the evidence and it simply disappeared. She didn't know what happened to it. She said that she was then terminated. And actually, the personnel file that I obtained on her, which contained the investigation into her activities, she had actually never even seen that, which I, I thought was really interesting, too. And like I was reading bits of it to her to have her respond right, to the allegations in the investigation, and she had never heard any of them before. So she was very quickly moved out of her job. And, you know, if you believe the investigation, the internal investigation into her, it's, you know, the the reason is is that she took something like $3,000 that was taken into evidence uh, and essentially just stole it. And is that what happened? Well, I don't know. You know, um, you know, she says that's not what happened. The sheriff's office says that is what happened. When I interviewed Frankie Richard about it, and I quoted him about this in the piece, he made a comment which he meant kind of as a joke, but I took actually very seriously, which, which was, you know, I want to thank Paula Guillory for stealing evidence in that case because it caused the charges against me and my mom to get dropped. And Paula, yeah. and, and was, she was pretty upset when she heard that, wasn't she? She was really upset. She, I, I, I read that quote to her, and she was very upset about that. You know, she claimed she's a just a good cop who was doing her job and really wanted to go after Frankie Richard. And then I have a number of people, including uh, the private investigator who's working on the case, Kirk Bernard, who have told me that right around the time that Paula Guillory disappeared that evidence, she was observed at Frankie Richard's home socializing with him, and she was also observed at a house on the south side of Jennings that was basically a crack house where all the, just about all the women hung out. She was observed at this crack house also socializing with a number of people there. Huh. So, well, I was I was going to ask because you know we've we've kind of dipped our toe in the water about Frankie Richard. He seems to be at the middle of a lot of this stuff, and I'm just kind of I, I haven't been able to wrap my brain around like what exactly is his involvement in all of this. Right. He he is at the center of Frankie is at the center of the entire case because for a number of reasons. One, you know, and this is by his own admission. Like he he pimped out pretty much all but one of the women. Um, the, the the one exclusion being uh, Ernestine Patterson, um, one of the early victims in 2005. So he pimped out all of these women. He also pimped them out from one specific place, 
and I, I wrote about this a bit in my piece, which is a, 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 a motel that's right on I-10 called the Boudreaux Inn. So he and those women were doing their business out of the Boudreaux Inn. Um, he was also, by, again, by his own admission, in at least two of the cases, and those would be Kristen Lopez and Whitney Dubois, he was one of the last people to be seen with at least two of the victims. And then he also, again, by his own admission, had pretty significant fights or disagreements with at least two of the victims right before they were killed over drugs and money. Mm-hmm. So you, you have all of that. And then you also have the fact that Frankie's relationship with the both the task force and the sheriff's office is very interesting and suggests that he's an inf- both an informant for them and also someone who assists them in covering up the things that they do. I obtained um, an email exchange between Kirk Menard, the private investigator on the case, and one of the top-ranking members of the task force, where Menard says that he sent two witnesses over to be interviewed by the task force, and the task force told these witnesses that Frankie Richard works for them. You also have the, the witness statements um, that were taken by the Jennings police, where the witnesses say that Frankie Richard worked hand in hand with Chief Criminal Investigator Warren Gary to dispose of DNA evidence in the Christian Gary Lopez case. So Frankie is deeply connected to the women, and he's deeply connected to law enforcement. He's, so he's very much at the center of, of this case. And he's been accused of, of course, two of the murders. Um... Kristen Lopez and Whitney Dubois? He was charged in Kristen Lopez. He's never charged in Whitney Dubois. The circumstances around the death of Whitney Dubois, though, highly suggest that he was involved because she was found in kind of a swampy area that has little crawfish ponds, a very, very desolate area. And she was found on the road near one of these ponds by a guy who works kind of on the streets for Frankie Richard. And the guy claimed to have found her and and claimed to have seen her something like a half mile away from where she was. Um, And it just seems highly implausible that this guy would just suddenly pop up, you know, in this desolate area where there's nothing around and find when you do, and oh, by the way, he happens to work for Frankie Richard, too. Mm-hmm. Actually, although, um, although at the same time, you know, it, you know, maybe he actually legitimately did, because if he'd just gone out there and disposed of the body and then turns around and says, hey, I found a body, you know, I would tend to dissociate myself from dead bodies that, you know, I'm, I'm involved with. One, one would think so, and that's yeah. a good point, although th- there is actually this odd kind of phenomenon of, and I, I have this in a case that I'm, another case that I'm working on where someone who's involved in murder finds a body or claims to find a body and they believe that it'll actually take suspicion off of them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, I can By see that. Obviously. Yeah. You know, like, oh, well, I just, look at me. I'm part of the search party and I just yeah. happened to find this body. The man who found Dubois, his name is Jamie Trahan. He's a very close associate of Frankie Richard, and he he presented it 
And I spoke to Duwaz, a number of people in the Duwaz family, about the way Trahan presented himself to them after finding her body. And, you know, he presented it as, oh, I was just out here, and, I, you know, I, I want to... I'm just trying to help, and I'm, you know, I'm so sorry. And and at, and at one point, he even offered to put down a, a quite a bit of money to help pay for her funeral expense, which the Dubois family also found incredibly suspicious. That so, is, yeah, a, that is it, a little um, odd. You know, you would think if you had any involvement in something like this, you'd want to be nowhere near it, especially yeah. if you were somebody who was so closely connected to Frankie Richard. But I think some sometimes people think that. By pre- presenting themselves as like, oh, this, this like innocent person who happened to stumble upon this horrible thing, that that that, that moves the the spotlight off of them in some ways. Yeah, it doesn't make sense to me, but uh... yeah, and and you know, as we're talking about Frankie Richard's associates, I, I remember you had uh, there was a part in there where you were talking about Brittany Gary when. Uh, and the three men that were seen leaving the woods where she was found, uh, what was it, uh, Irvin, Eugene, and Ricardo? That, yeah, that was actually not, that was um, Crystal Shea Benoit. Oh, okay. That was a different victim, yeah. And, and three men were seen, she was found in this wooded area. Uh, on the outskirts of Jennings, and uh, three men closely associated with Richard were seen leaving the wooded area uh, after her murder, and the man who saw them was a man named Russell Carrier, and Carrier mysteriously was run over by a train in Jennings. Yeah. Yeah, that happens. Yeah, as soon after that witness identification, and law enforcement said it was a suicide, and his family does not believe it was a suicide. Now, did he say? Uh, did he at one point? I, I'm I'm racking my brain here. I thought that when he was making the statements, did he tell somebody else that he was trying to figure out who had done it, and he had almost figured it out no, at one that point? Was, or? That was the other guy. That was the brother of one of the victims. That was yet another person, actually. Yeah, that was a, a drug dealer named um, Harvey Bird Dog Burley, who was a very close very close to the Dubois family. And he said that he was you know, working the streets and gathering tips on the homicides, and then he was stabbed to death. And Jennings and his murder. He was stabbed death in Jennings, I believe, in 2007. And his, his murder is unsolved as well. Yeah, I was just going to say quickly, that's another piece of his story that's so fascinating, which is you have eight unsolved homicides in a town of 10,000 people, which is extraordinary. The fact that you have eight homicides in that size of a town is extraordinary in itself. Yeah. But the fact that all of them are unsolved is even more extraordinary. But what adds even Another level of craziness to this to this story is you have homicides like Bird Dog that are unsolved. And there's quite a few of them. So if you were to add up the the eight women plus the other unsolved homicides in town over the past decade or so, comes close to twenty. Oh yeah, so, I didn't realize it was that high. Yeah, it, it, it's yeah. Yeah, it, it it's really just truly remarkable. I, and I can say, and I've been writing about crime and working in this field for a very long time, never seen anything like this anywhere, both in terms of the, the, the levels of law enforcement corruption and the number of homicides and the number of unsolved homicides. Such oh. a small area. 
It doesn't sound like they solved any homicides <laughs> ever, ever in that town. They actually had a homicide early this year that they solved. Um, <laughs> Good for them. Which was yeah, it's pretty unusual. Yeah. My interest in this story, actually, and I, this had to be taken out of the piece just for space reasons, was really began in 2011. I was out there um, visiting with uh, Kirk Menard, the private investigator, just to get a sense of the story. And actually, within days of being out there, um, there was a murder uh, of, of, a, of a drug dealer in Jennings named Bowlegs. And I actually just met Bowlegs the night before he was murdered. And, you know, it was pretty amazing. And this had never happened to me before, where I interviewed, where I was introduced to somebody and they were murdered the next day. And that, that murder, which dates back to either June or July of 2011, that murder is also unsolved. And, um, and Bowlegs also, by the way, dated at least two of the women who were, uh, killed in this case. Did, did, when you interviewed Bolex, did he give you any, any useful information? No, no it was just a, it was just a introduction, kind of very brief introduction to him. I didn't, I didn't actually interview him. Um, my, my trip back then was, was just essentially meeting people. Yeah. Um, so Bolex wasn't so, sitting yeah. on a powder keg of information and he had to be silenced. More likely he was. was I, I don't think so. I think he was, you know, a casualty of some sort of drug beef. But, but you know, his murders unsolved, just like the rest of them, which is interesting. Now, another another piece in this whole story uh, is that I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong here, is that of these eight women, a number of them were present at uh, a police shooting prior to their deaths. Correct. And correct. Yes. So were all of them or just a couple of them? I thought it was just one. Just a couple of them. Yeah, just a, just a, I've been able to confirm just one, which is Kristen Gary Lopez. I've heard, though, that it was two or perhaps three. Uh, it, it was a shooting from April of 2005. It was a botched drug raid in South Jennings uh, that was uh, carried out by the DA's office uh, Louisiana probation and parole, uh, the sheriff's office, and I believe the police department. They raided a drug house in South Jennings. Drug house was like complete, completely shrouded in darkness when they raided it. I don't think even the electricity was on. And for one, for some unknown reason, one of the probation and parole agents opened fire on a man named Leonard Crochet, who apparently Witness to say had his hands up when he was when he was shot. But regardless of whether you know, it, it, there's a dispute about whether or not he had his hands up. But but no one disputes the fact actually, and this is interesting because I obtained the Louisiana State Police report on that incident. Uh, no one no one no one disputes the fact that he was unarmed when he was shot to death. Um, there was he he had no weapons on him or near him, and he was shot to death. And at least one, and perhaps more of the women who would later be killed were witnessed that incident. And I also know for a fact that, for example, um, Kristen Gary Lopez, who was murdered in 2007, um, she was brought in by cops and interviewed about, I believe, the Loretta Schaffbaum murder, uh, the first victim in 2005. So there's a pattern of these women being being uh, interviewed as witnesses in other homicides and then getting killed. And and is there any 
connection or any thought that whatever statements they gave or what led to their death? If, if we're going with the, the police are definitely deeply involved, the responsible th- kind of aspect of it. Yes, I believe so. I believe so. I believe, you know, I think you, you see the pattern over and over again, and you see it with Kristen Lopez being interviewed in uh, Loretta Chasson. You see it in Laconia Brown, who's a victim in 2008. She was interviewed about the 2005 homicide of Ernestine Patterson. You see that pattern over and over again where these women are witnesses. Then the other pattern that you see over and over again is that the women, just before they were killed, would say, I know who's doing this. The police are involved. I fear for my life. And many of them said, I know I'm going to die. And then they would be killed. You sort of wonder why more of them didn't just leave town or go into hiding or something. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I feel, you know... You know, we're we're talking about a population that's like extremely poor and has very very few options. So I think they were just sort of stuck where they were. Leaving town's not an easy option. Yeah. Yeah, not not an easy option. That said, what one one thing that's interesting to me, particularly since the piece came out and doing the investigation that I'm doing, is that there are quite a few survivors of that era of that era who do know quite a bit. And they're still, yeah, and they're still around, you know. So um, they didn't get everybody, you know. There, there are a number of women who were in that scene who do know quite a bit about what happened, who are still alive. Yeah, because the um, uh, that wanted to bring me back. I wanted to come back to, for a minute to Danny Barry. You know, as you know, yeah. uh, uh, Richard said that uh, Barry was the killer because they all stopped in 2009 when he died. Correct. I believe it was. Yeah, I think he died in 2010. But oh, yeah, okay. but the, the the last homicide was 2009. Yeah, I I I mean I think Richard has his own purpose for for making that claim, which is yeah. you know, not the him. I, my my sense of Danny Barry, especially from reading all the witness interviews about him that the task force conducted, is that Barry was deeply involved in. The prostitution scene in South Jennings, which is where all these women are from, he would pick up these women and bring them back to his house. And at least one witness, a task force witness, talked about Barry having some sort of dungeon in his house with chains and whatnot. Uh huh. And I assume that was uh, one of the prostitutes that he took back home with him. Yeah. And I'm developing now. I don't have, you know, I, I'm not there yet, but I, I, I'm developing information as I go about his involvement in the, his possible involvement, I should say, in the, in the murder of um, Brittany Gary, the very young 17-year-old victim who was killed in 2008. Well, and, and his involvement, I mean, if we, if we believe Richard, the task force I I understand is kind of working on the assumption that it's, you know, the one mad killer and he would fit that bill easily, wouldn't he? If based on, you know, these he statements would, of the yeah. dungeon. Barry would fit that bill. From my investigation, I don't believe that he is the killer. I don't believe and I, I say this in the piece that there is one killer. I think it's it's, it's a number of people. I think that you could hone in on on Barry for at least one of the homicides, but I don't think that he's 
responsible for all of them, even though he fits, as you say, fits the bill. Well, and he, for sort of the, because he's deceased, right. he's a an easy mark. Correct. He's a very easy mark. Have you been able to talk to his widow? I haven't yet, no. That's something I, I want to do. I haven't yet talked to his widow. He gave a, ta- a statement before he died to the task force that was extremely unilluminating, mo- and, and, and it was unhelpful primarily because the task force is so terrible at conducting interviews. Um, he also told the task force that his wife, now widow, was you know refusing to be interviewed by the task force. Now the 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 private investigator Kirk Menard, that's his name, correct? Correct. Yeah. What what has been his contribution? Because I've seen stuff about him, but I'm not really clear on exactly what he's doing. Good question. What Menard is doing, and I, I don't want to speak for him, but but this is my impression of what he's doing is that he's able to talk to a number of people who perhaps would not talk otherwise. And he then forwards those people directly to the task force. So essentially what he is is like a kind of a conduit between people on the street who might not feel comfortable going directly to the task force. You see what I'm saying? And, and yeah, he's kind of a neutral in, party in, for them. Yeah, he's kind of a neutral party. And, 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 that, and, and that's what he's doing. You know, he, he's in a very awkward position now, though, after he had sent these two witnesses to the task force, and they told these witnesses things like, Frankie Richard works for us. He said he's, he's in an awkward position because I don't think he knows what to make of the task force now. And I wouldn't want to be in his position either because it, it, it's a strange place to be sending witnesses to a task force that has such huge problems. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. I mean, yeah. to me, to me, the task force, which is dominated by the sheriff's office, by the way, um, and I mentioned that in the piece, really is not to be, <laughs> has zero credibility in my, in my view. Because what you have is a task force that's dominated by the sheriff's office taking witness statements. And in the witness statements, the witnesses are saying deputy so-and-so and deputy so-and-so are involved in the homicides. And the people taking those statements are co-workers of the people implicated in the murders. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh... it, it's really just, I mean, it couldn't be more of a clear conflict of interest. And it couldn't be more of a clear problem, uh, you know, huge problem, you know, how is a task force supposed to conduct an investigation when all of their friends and coworkers, you know, I'm sorry, when their friends and coworkers are are suspects? Yeah. So you know, it's a it's a huge problem, and I think the task force is kind of the problem in in making any headway in this case. You just can't t- tell me that the task force can investigate its own, no. you know, so, uh, it's, it's, just, it's just not possible. And I, I, you know, so, uh, so, so that's the problem. Is there, uh, is there any indication that the governor's office has gotten any interest in this or that the FBI perhaps would come in and take over the investigation? It's a good question. You know, from, from the state side, after my piece ran a local news station out there 
asked the Attorney General, the Louisiana Attorney General, Buddy Caldwell, you know, they're doing anything. And he just sort of punted on the question and said, oh, well, you know, there's the task force and that's what we're doing. Okay. Now, the FBI side is interesting and also very depressing in the sense that the task force is depressing. Because when you look at the task force interviews, it has obviously the name of the interviewee, you know, slash witness. And then it also has the names of law enforcement folks who are present during those interviews. So I'll say like, you know, witness, Ethan Brown, present, deputy, you know, so-and-so, and then deputy so-and-so. And then occasionally it'll say, um, that an FBI agent is present. And these are FBI agents from the Lake Charles office. And Lake Charles is in Calcasieu Parish, which is next to Jeff Davis Parish. And many times when the FBI agents are present, there are very clear allegations of law enforcement involvement in the murders being made by witnesses. And the FBI agents are present for you, you know, when these allegations are made. And what's happening there? What is the FBI doing about this? Because any kind of misconduct just about under the sun by law enforcement can be prosecuted federally. Yeah. And it's just... there, there's a statute, there's a federal statute called deprivation of, of rights under the color of law. So if I'm a cop, let's just say I live in New Orleans and I'm an, uh, and, and I'm an NOPD cop and I walk outside my house and I see somebody jaywalking. Right. And I grab him and I, you know, kick his head in. That can be prosecuted federal. Yeah. You know, absolutely. If, yeah. if I'm a cop, if I'm a cop and I go out to a crime scene and I dispose of evidence that can be prosecuted federally. I mean, there's so many entryways into this case federally. And it's stunning to me that none are taken. Yeah. And it's particularly given the fact, again, that I know for a fact, because I've seen the interviews, that FBI agents are present when allegations of law enforcement misconduct are made. So I, But I can't answer. I don't know why nothing is happening, but I do know that the FBI is aware of it. Are, have you tried to reach out to them? Or are they just ignoring you? Or I have. I, I do know for a fact that the U.S. Attorney's Office and the Western District of Louisiana is looking at this, is aware. I don't know what they're doing. Uh, again, like it's, it's a mystery to me. My guess, and this is only my, my guess, is that the local FBI office out in Lake Charles, I, I, I fear that they're close with, you know, many of the law enforcement folks that are, under a cloud of suspicion on this mm-hmm. and, and, and that they're not moving as a result of that, you know, so it comes back it, to, you that. know, although again, I, I should, I should say it's really complicated. You know, there was, there was a lot of police misconduct during and after Katrina in New Orleans, and it took years for those cases to go federal. Why did it take as long as it did for those cases to go federal? What was the, what was the, the route Right. That that those cases took exactly. You know, I don't know. I'm not I don't think anybody knows other than people who work for the U.S. attorney's office down here. Yeah, I think that (laughs) nobody but them is privy to that sort of information. Why did it take as long as it take, you know, as it took, you know, 
I mean, it could be nothing more sinister than government inertia. I mean, you know how ponderous the federal government can be sometimes. It might be that simple. Yeah, and it's also it might be as simple as you know prosecutors have vast discretion in kinds of the in terms of the cases they pursue. You know, why do they pursue this and not that? They they have a lot of discretion there. So it could be simple something as simple as discretion. I I don't know. I I really don't know. I I, I don't know. You know what they're doing. I, I you know I think that I know that that under Eric Holder, police misconduct is a big priority for DOJ to prosecute. I know that. Um, so I'd hope that this would catch their attention because of that priority, but it hasn't yet as far as I know. Hmm. Yeah, well, it might be too that they've actually reviewed it pretty carefully and realized that there's no way they can come out of it looking good because they can take over the case, but let's face it, I mean, there's a lot of conflicting information and doesn't there appear to be hardly any physical evidence uh, and so it's and, correct. And of course, the trail is very cold. The last murder was five years ago. So, the possibility of the feds coming in and you know on their white horse and actually solving these murders is pretty limited. So, maybe for that reason alone, they realize it's not a case that's going to cover them with glory. It's going to be a case that they'll take over to great fanfare and then grind along for a few years and then not solve either. Correct. I mean, it is it is a very complicated case. A lot of narratives statements and lost completely uncredible witnesses. And, you know, there are old cases which makes them harder to solve. You know, all of that said, I do think that they they, they, they do have a, have a number of ways in, particularly when it comes to, you know, federal cases in particular are, are all built on flipping people against one another. And I think in this case, you have quite a few people who could be easily flipped. Uh-huh. Frank, yeah. Frankie Richard. Being one, I, I think, and there's quite a few others. When the feds prosecuted the NOPD misconduct cases, they would get people, you know, they would haul people before a federal grand jury. And if uh, one of the cops engaged in the sort of lying and that they had engaged in in the past, they would get a federal charge for that. You know, mm-hmm. going up for a federal grand jury and lying is a federal crime. Yeah. So, so yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like the the feds wield such an incredible hammer, no matter who they're going after, that it, that it's doable. Well, and that that gets to to the question for you, which is, do you think that the, any of these will actually ever be solved? Good question. I certainly don't believe the task force will, will, will ever solve them. I, I do believe the only hope in this case would be federal interest, DOJ interest, and specifically interest from the DOJ Civil Rights Division, which goes after law enforcement misconduct. I, I think that's the only way. Now, will it happen? I have no idea. Huh. But I think that's... that's yeah. Yeah, I don't, it seems unlikely because uh, you know this has been going on for a long time, and they haven't they haven't stepped in. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Okay, well, that's that's our interview with Ethan. And uh, that's, I'm so man, glad I, hope, I was there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I hope you guys enjoyed uh, listening to that. Yeah, that I mean that that is a lot of information, and, and it's and it's by, hard to digest it. All. And by the way, a lot of thanks to Ethan again for for Absolutely. taking the time to talk to us. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I know it took us a while to, to catch up with him, and I'm glad that he, he was able to move his schedule around to do it because it really, I think it, it does this story a lot of justice to get all of the information straight from the proverbial source. And mm. Ethan really kind of has been the source here. As he talked about, you know, nobody thought he was doing the story he was doing. So yeah. they gave him the details they yeah. gave him. Yeah, and it's interesting. The fallout for him is like, you know, at first everybody was willing to talk to him. And now some people are a little ticked off with him. And yeah. he's got to yeah. tread lightly around yeah, some people Yeah, he's got to be now. a little more careful and a little more circumspect yeah. now. Now, I think Joe, Joe had mentioned this before. Ethan's been working on this for a good while. And as he said, the original article he wanted wanted to submit was 30,000 words. The article that's up is 8,000. So that's yeah. a huge amount of information. And he has, he's since gotten the book deal. He's gotten a book deal. I don't think we've talked about that yet. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's on the order of a hundred thousand words, but, uh, so there's the book deal and then there's some other things. Oh, I guess, I mean, it, it doesn't necessarily pertain to Ethan so much as it pertains to this kind of vague speculation that the the TV series, uh, the HBO TV series, True Detective, which some of you may or may not be familiar with, is loosely based on this story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's fair to say that uh, it's not. It doesn't, you know, derive facts from this story or anything like that. But I definitely, you know, in the, I saw, I, I, I watched True Detective as it was on, you know, coming out originally. So I, I guess it's been, gosh, I'm going to say four or five months since mm-hmm. um, the last episode of the first season aired. And immediately, you know, I've vaguely been aware of Jefferson Davis 8 or the Jennings 8. But as soon as I started really getting into it, I just kept thinking, this sounds so much like True Detective. <laughs> just the, like, vague ideas of, you know, X number of murders, the, like, weird... In, in a parish in Louisiana, the kind of weird, twisted people. Personality. Sort of, of incestuousness of the whole situation. You yeah, know? Uh, and also yeah. the, you know, not to, to do spoilers or anything, but also, like, a certain amount of potential police involvement and how much that allegation may or may not be true. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think... It, I. If you haven't watched your detective and you have any kind of stomach for things like this, watch it. Yeah. Just like immediately. But I think it's also very interesting the the parallels you can draw between these yeah. things. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And and I think that we should probably, you know, that that's was part of our interview and we haven't we haven't shared that with everybody yeah. yet. But let's let's share that part of the interview with Ethan where he talks about some of that stuff. Yeah, and actually I should mention one one thing I should definitely mention. I think I briefly mentioned this, but I should be more specific about it. I have a book deal with Scribner, which is a division of Simon & Schuster, Uh to write a book about this. And um, I'm I'm quite excited about it for a number of reasons. One, the the original draft that I turned in for the piece was almost 30,000 words, and and what ran was about 8,000. So, you know, I've got a lot of stuff that... I have not used it all, and I've got a lot of material that I'm still developing. So it's exciting for that reason. And it's also exciting because um, Scribner publishes Nick Pizzolatto, the creator of True Detective. And uh, a lot of people have noted the similarities between True Detective Season 1 and and the Jeff Davis 8 case. I don't think, actually, that... Uh, I, I think the similarities are really due to the fact that it's the same milieu. I don't think that it's 
that it's Pizzolatto being inspired by one specific case, but I think it's very similar in the U. But regardless, it, it, it's a cool, it's a very exciting thing to both be able to expand on a piece that was extremely expansive when I turned it in. Yeah. Yeah. And then also to and then also to be with the publisher that, you know, did did great things with Nick Pizzolato. So, um yeah. and and uh and people should the, the if you think the case is sprawling after reading eight thousand words of it, wait till you read nearly a hundred thousand. Yeah. <laughs> uh, can't wait to do I, that. I did this you know Somewhat with my first book, uh, a book called Queen's Reign Supreme, which is, which I which Random House published. But I, but this case is is so complicated that I could actually see a gigantic kind of outline of the cast of characters uh, coming at the beginning of the book. Um, the, the the number of characters and uh, that I'm gonna explore in, in the in the book is just gonna be. And when when do you think that book is is going to be out? Do you have a date yet? I, I don't. I, my guess would be 2016. Okay. Uh, you got a title plan for I, it I, yet? I do. Yes, I do have a, actually a very clear battle plan. Um, I have, as I said, have, have been doing quite a bit of investigation since the piece came out, and. I've also identified a case from Calcasieu Parish in the 90s that I believe is sort of the door opener to this case, um, which is going to be fascinating to people, I think. And then I've also got new sources, not, I don't mean individuals or people, I mean actual sources, like, you know, in the sense of like the task force document that I got for the piece. I have new, new sources that are witness interviews and whatnot to, to pour over that are just, that are going to, that are huge, you know, caches of information that I'm going to be able to utilize as well. Cool. So, yeah, it, it should be really interesting. Yeah. Can't wait to read the book. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know about the pair of you, but I'm definitely, definitely glad that we got to talk to Ethan, as Joe oh, said earlier, yeah. and I'm definitely looking forward to when the book comes out. Me too. Yeah. I, I think that it's going to be, definitely, it's going to be a patron, but I don't think in the sense that I can't stop reading, as in I think I'm going to be turning the pages and then going back and turning the page back mm. and, and checking, because this is going to be... There's so many players in this, and it's yeah. just going to be so hard to track. And I think it's a... going to be ex- absurdly interesting, but just yeah, such a it's... volume he, of he information. He does a great job. You know, his article is really great at succinctly laying out what's going on. It's it's easy to follow what's kind of going on in, in this case that's just a tangled web. Quagmire? Yeah, so yeah, it's a bowl of spaghetti, but... yeah. Uh, yeah, it's probably one of those books where you want to make notes as you go along, especially mm-hmm. names of people and yeah. how mm-hmm. their relationships and stuff like that are. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, we don't have a title because uh, he didn't tell us what the title of the book <laughs> is, and maybe he might have done that on purpose. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe he doesn't have a title yet. Maybe he hasn't quite decided exactly what it's going to be. Maybe. It's going to be bodies in the bayou or bayou full of bodies. Or, <laughs> I don't know. Well, he's got a couple years to figure that out. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's, he's got a year to go. Just, so, uh, yeah. well, let's let's. I I just want to know what uh, you. Know, 
know, we haven't really dove into personal theories so far. Yeah. We've we've kind of been relying on the information we've got from Ethan, and we know what we've read. But I, w- I want to know what you guys think. I know what my theories are, but but really? what if you what if you go ahead and start us off and and you got Joe, a theory? Okay. you want to? Yeah, go ahead, Joe. Okay, the murderer is <clears throat> drum roll, please. Uh, Nicole Jean Beep. Guillory. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Sorry. Nicole Guillory uh, died, or was her body was found August 2009. I think she murdered all the rest of them, and then uh, she died apparently of asphyxia, they think. So I, I think she auto-asphyxiated and threw, her, threw herself into the bayou. So you're, you're, uh, you're just going for, you don't have a real idea, and you're just making something yeah, up. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. You know, it could have been um, it could have been the owner of the Boudreaux Inn who was really ticked off that all these women caused so much so much of a fuss and that his place got closed down. I think his place would have got closed down regardless. Yeah, yeah. I think so. From what uh, I can tell. Yeah, it's a, but but the, the, it's really hard to say. I mean, it's uh, there are a lot of questionable characters in this town. A lot of them have peripheral involvement in the story, and uh, they're also at the same time involved in the drug trade. So okay, mm-hmm. when. So when you're in prostitution, that makes you kind of uniquely vulnerable, right? Then in and of itself, you put yourself yeah. into a lot of bad situations. Yeah. yeah, and then also, but when you're also involved in the drug trade, uh, as most of them seem to be, then that's that's a whole other layer of uh, motives for murder there. Mm-hmm. So it's really, really hard to say. And of course, I don't want to commit libel or anything like that. Uh, so I'm not going to say, and frankly, I, I don't, ha- I don't really know. I mean, there's just, there's just so much going on here mm-hmm. and, um, there's no real hard evidence against anybody. Yeah. So, uh, I'm going to go with space aliens. Okay. Yeah. Stole my theory. Man. Lizard oh, people. Sorry. Joe went with the lizard. Yeah. Oh no, he didn't go with the lizard no. people. Okay. So okay. The lizard hang, people. On, yeah. hang on. I'll, I'll let you have, you can have space aliens. I'm going to say it's the same person who did the Hagley Woods thing. Oh. The body found in the tree. <laughs> okay. Oh yeah. All right. Devin, Devin, what's your thoughts on this? I, you know, again, just like Joe, I don't necessarily want to commit any kind of libel. Mm-hmm. I only know what has been published, but in my estimation, I guess, you, you look for the common denominators and, you, you know, you've got drugs and prostitution and it's a small community. And so, okay, fine. Those are all common denominators. But they're also all tied to this Frankie Richard guy who I find to be super creepy. And there's been depositional testimony, it seems, to the fact that he has a violent streak, particularly when high and people say no to him. And, you know, I again, I don't want to say it's it's definitely this person. I, I don't have access to all the evidence. You know, it's they're open cases, so there's a lot of stuff that the just general public cannot know. It's absolutely true. And you know, as Ethan said, uh, some people in the task force have said Richard is is an informant. He works for us. Yeah, he is so, an informant. Yeah. You know, so and I, it's just one of those cases of like I don't know who to believe, but my gut instinct is to say that it, it's him. Mm-hmm. But you know the thing that's the most frustrating about this, I you know this this little TV spot that I watched, and you know one of the locals said the thing that's most frustrating about this is that somebody knows 
who killed all these women. Probably. Mm-hmm. Or it may maybe, not be the same person. It may be a syndication. It may be a group of people, but it, at it, least one person knows for each one person it, killed. Yeah, it may be that the murders are not not actually all that interconnected, and it might be there is no single one person who knows who killed all those it's women. It's true, but, you know, I and think... And as far as Frankie Richard goes, like, for example, he was accused by Tracy Chason of murdering, <clears throat> along with Hannah Connor, of... Um, murdering uh, Dubois mm-hmm. in front of her. Yeah. And that's, that was her accusation, and right. that's, why, that's why he was charged with that initially. But, but when you think about it, her story makes no sense because, you know, here he is committing murder right in front of this person. It's like, you know, what it is about Tracy Chason that, that makes Frankie Richard and, and his goddamn Hannah Connor believe that they can commit murder right in front of her and it's perfectly okay and she's not going to say anything to anybody. Well, it doesn't I can, really uh, make a lot of well, sense. Uh, no, no I, I, I hate to say, but I, I think I can answer that question, which is... He's drug-addled? No, no, not at all, is when you're in a small town, I, again, I've, I've seen these kind of communities, and I've been, a, I've been, you know, I've lived in these places, as you know everybody, and, hey, can I trust you? Can I vouch for you? I've done things for you, and you've done things for me, and you mm-hmm. know you're not going to say anything, and I'll do favors for you down the line, so you scratch my back, I scratch yours kind of mentality. Well, uh, that's I, not, I, I, I don't yeah. have the exact... Way, then, I mean, this would take a long time to suss out, but I, I think that if you have somebody so scared of you, I mean, think about, let's look at people who are... Um, you know, abducted and they're so afraid, like kids, they're so afraid of the person that, that has abducted them that they can brainwash him is the word I want to use into saying, yeah, saying don't tell anybody or I will go kill your mom and dad. That, Mm -hmm. that kind of, that kind of influence over somebody. So I can see how that, that may be the reason that he, if, if indeed Richard is responsible for this particular murder, I can see how he could have got, he could have done it in front of her and said, well, you're not going to talk because you know, if you talk, I will come after you. Yeah, but and then you don't want me after you. But then, let's, you know, but then she did talk, and she didn't wind up murdered. She talked. She didn't wind up murdered because a bunch of evidence against him disappeared. Right? I mean, I guess. I, I, yeah, I mean, it's not a solid theory. No, I, no, no, I'm no, not no, saying no. that just, I have any kind I'm of evidence. I'm saying I can see why. Yeah, yeah, but I'm just saying that I, I, I think her story is not entirely credible. Which is fair. And, 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 and there's that's a lot of totally fair. There's yeah. a lot of things in this story that don't make sense. And like when we talked to Ethan, is the, the whole thing about the Chevy Silverado? Yeah, that's and yeah. supposedly transporting the body of Lewis, which uh-huh. does not make any sense. Yeah. If, if they murdered her by the canal and she's found in the canal, why they put her in a drum and drive her around and then? Well, back in yeah. although, although Ethan did say that there's no, it's not a hundred percent certain that she was actually murdered by the canal, right? But it, the whole thing about it is 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 uh, trans. You know, if, if you murder somebody and transport them around in your pickup truck, uh-huh. then what you do is when you get home, you get out the garden hose and you hose out the back real good, and get the blood and the DNA of you and you don't I need that. and a lot of people understand that, yeah. but not everybody thinks about that, especially if. 
not all the cylinders are firing because you're high as a kite on something. Yeah. Well, that's you're on true. amphetamines or whatever it is. You don't think about these things. Yeah, it's I mean, true, if you've ever but... been around a tweaker, they do some weird stuff because they think that they know what they're doing. Yeah, that's true. Just, but yeah. but and then if you have this uh, one of the, the, the things about the, the truck, it was bought by one of the local cops. Mm-hmm. For a below market price, and then he took it to the car wash and you know detailed it all out, supposedly destroying evidence in the meantime. Well, if you want to destroy evidence in the back of your pickup truck, you don't need to sell the pickup truck to a local cop to take to the car wash. You can just take it to the car wash yourself. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, get well, except for that, that person was in jail, weren't they? <laughs> Oh, the yeah. owner of the truck I, was in jail. Yeah, but I'm not sure how much time that, elapsed. I know she'd the, been, yeah, Siler. I know she'd been charged, but I don't know that she was in jail at the time. Yeah. But, but I mean, this this is the problem with this case. There's so yeah. many weird loops. Now, personally, yeah. I think that some of the murders are connected. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're all connected because, as we talked about in the interview with Ethan, I ten, I think it's I ten, is right there, and so yeah. it's a major thoroughfare, and so uh, I think yeah. that it's not on, it's not an uncommon thing to discover that we've got a trucker who killed a woman. Yeah. So I think that that might be part of it. I think the drug trade is part of it. I think that just weird inter- interconnections. I think this whole thing is a cesspot. And there is a lot of not good things going on. But Mm. I also think that in this small community, you're right. As we said before, everybody knows, at least somebody knows, but they all have their reasons for not, I believe the phrase is snitching. Yeah. You don't snitch. Well, there's a good reason not to snitch because when you snitch, retribution comes down. Well, because, and especially in this case, it does appear, as I said earlier, that there is a mole in the police department. Mm -hmm. The police are corrupt and... I think everybody knows that if they snitch, uh, you know, the cops are going to immediately inform on them. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, a lot of these women, as we talked about in the interview, they were afraid to talk because, or they knew that they had talked and they they made a mistake and it was going to come back on I them. think just by the, the sheer fact that, I think, you know, Ethan said there's something like 20, but there's solid evidence for 11, at least, unsolved mysteries... Or unsolved murders that are connected in a well in a community of ten thousand. You know, at that point, it's it's clearly a systemic problem. Mm-hmm. It is That's no that. longer just an anomaly of a weird unsolved mystery. There's something larger going on. If that high a percentage of murders are just unsolved for a lot, a lot of years mm-hmm. in a community that small. Because there are other, let's be fair, there are other small communities of that size on huge interstates that are drug trafficking havens. It's not, you know, this Jennings is not the only place on I-10. No. In between Austin and New Orleans, right? Is that what he said? Or yeah, wherever. Yeah, I think Houston and New Orleans. You, yeah. you know, wherever. He's, it's not the only small community that's just, you know, inundated with drugs and violence and gang crime and things like that. But they are the only ones that have this kind of murder on such a scale. Yeah. And it's, so I, I think, think it's the scale. It is, is the scale. It's the it's the fact that there's somehow there is a systemic problem and wh- whether that is just like pure incompetence and stupidity on the part of the police department there, or if it's something more sinister that's hard to tell, mm-hmm. but I think, you know, I just think that it's just, this is just such a messed up 
Yeah, no, this this whole thing is is yeah. It's uh yeah. It's awkward and it's hard to track. Yeah, yeah Jennings is a scary little town. If I so ever go there, so don't go to Jennings. Yeah, well, don't know, don't go there and try and dig up answers on your own, ladies yeah, and gentlemen. Seriously, please uh, stay home. If you and go do there, not go there. If you go there, pack heat. Don't pack yeah. heat. Just don't go there. Just don't just go stay there. The hell away. Uh, well. Uh, again, as I, as we said before, Ethan's book is coming out uh, next year, and there should be some more fun-filled facts. In and there, there should be a lot of fun-filled yeah. facts there. Yes, he's, he's been doing a lot more research, uh, so you're going to want to read that yep. book. So when that book comes out, and we find out what it's going to be, we'll we will definitely know. put something up about it. But in the meantime, uh, all of the links and a, a good a, a good spot of the research that we did and we got access to about this story will be on our website. The website, as always, is going to be thinkingsidewayspodcast.com. You can read all the links there. You can find the PDF that helps kind of outline this story for you. And, of course, you can listen to the story there as well. If you want, you can always go ahead and stream the show. You can stream the show on Stitcher. So any mobile-ready device, uh, tablets, phones, whatever they may be, you're going to be able to follow it all there. And, of course, we're on Facebook, and I know a bunch of you have been on Facebook and and we're getting comments and all that good stuff and good conversations, which is a lot of fun. And if you haven't done it yet, find us and friend us. And we've also got a group there where we there's some discussions going on and things being shared, which is always great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I liked our page. <laughs> I should like our page. Yeah, I find I did. like our page a lot. <laughs> uh, you can, of course, download if you don't want to use Stitcher and you don't want to use the website. The, I know it seems like the majority of the folks, at least over half of you, are using iTunes. You can use iTunes, find us on iTunes, and just download the episodes for whenever you want them. And, of course, last but not least, if you have something you want to tell us, you've got story suggestions, you've got leads for us, you can do that all on our email, which is thinkingsidewayspodcast at gmail.com. As a matter of fact, this story was suggested to us by a listener via email. That's so, right, Thomas, right? Thomas, yeah. yeah thanks, so, Thomas. Thomas, thank you, and at the same time, I kind of regret you having done that because I've like, we've just gotten so deep into such a crazy story. No, it, it was very good, but at the same I was oh Yeah, yeah, Steve's going to go insane. I really am. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to keep making infographics about this story <laughs> until the day I die. That's yeah. probably true. It kind of might be. Now, Colonel Mustard in the study with a candlestick. <laughs> <laughs> Is that your answer? Uh-huh. Oh, well, thank you, Joe. That I appreciate sense. that. Uh, and uh, before we forget, speaking of emails, we did get an email this week. Uh, or we, we got, got a email. lot of emails. Well, I was going to say, week, yeah, we got an email this week that... Uh, Whenever I say that, I'm like, oh, this one stood out. I really liked it. I really had a fun time. Yeah. Uh, So I didn't know who wanted to to read the email this week. Uh, I don't care. I'll read it. This email is from a guy named Jacob. Hi, Jacob. (laughs) Hey, Jacob. Hi, Jacob. It says, hi, I really like your show. And after finding it at the start of a 16-hour drive, I proceeded to listen to 16 hours of Thinking Sideways. I'm so sorry, Jacob. I said the same thing to him, and yeah. he said it was awesome. Did we keep you awake, I hope, and not put you to sleep? He says, it was a great marathon, and I really liked your interpretation of these events. I'm currently working as a scientist, but still fall for imaginative or fantastic explanations for many stories that ha- of, rather than the logical choices. For example, I read about the Dyatlov in- Pass incident a, f- a while ago. Apparently, I can't read today. I'm sorry. 
and could only conclude radiation and or monsters, which probably makes me a pretty mm, expletive-deleted scientist. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Your walkthrough of the story using the avalanche hypothesis makes such great sense. Um, He has, as everybody who emails us, almost everybody who emails us, he has a little suggestion, and he gives us his scientist take on it. Which was really, really interesting. Yeah. So is that like Yeti? No, no. On the story he suggested. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then he goes on to say, I'd be happy to give you my take on things if interested. Keep up the good work. And I hope you guys are finding a way to get compensated for this great show. Ah. Well, we're working on that. We're uh, getting there. Yeah. Actually, One of these days. Should, should we put a tip jar on our page? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, a PayPal. Yeah, we probably should. Yeah, yeah. we should. Yeah. Um, anyways, thank you, Jacob. We, yeah, yes, Jacob. I don't know what kind of scientist you are. Maybe uh, maybe Steve or I will follow up, or Joe. Um, yeah, yeah. Joe yep. doesn't know how to do email, so. Uh, I really feel bad. I didn't ask him what kind of scientist yeah. he was. So, you know, we, we may just need, we just might need a resident scientist. <laughs> no, actually, I think having a consulting scientist would be a good thing. a good idea, yeah. 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 I hadn't thought as about that. As long as, did he say scientist or Scientologist? He said scientist. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. We don't need a resident scientist. <laughs> no, no, we don't. We've got five of those already. Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, well. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Well, that uh, that is what we have on the Jefferson Davis 8. Uh, I, also known as the Jennings 8. The Jennings 8. Yeah. I, I hope that Also it called helped. sometimes the Jeff Davis 8. Yeah. Just, yeah, just so you know. Or the JD 8. Uh-huh. Yeah. If you or want to be hip and abbreviate JC8. everything. Or just the 8. Yeah. Anyway. Uh... <laughs> Okay, well, so I hope that while we didn't necessarily solve the issue, we might have hopefully clarified some of the facts that you've heard about or you've read about, and it gives you a better perspective on it. Because I think in this particular story, that's about the best we can do. Because this one is a long way from being solved. And I think Ethan hit it on the head until we get some some big government intervention. We're not going to get an answer. I don't think the FBI is going to solve this either. I don't think they're going to step in. But. No, they're not going to. But but it's a it's a cold trail. Let's face it. You, mm-hmm. know, you know. I mean, and the problem is, is all the witnesses and all the people that that come forward saying they know are something dead. about it. Well, a lot of them are dead, <laughs> and uh, but a lot of the other ones are drug-addled and not necessarily reliable people. So yeah, yeah. sorting reliable out all the counterclaims sort of important. Yeah. So in other words, it's not just enough to get somebody to snitch on somebody. You need some actual physical evidence mm-hmm. too. Yeah. And I don't. I think that's all been sort of washed away or, or it's, pilfered from. You know, the, the oldest one room. is nine years gone. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's that's a hard. So hard, I'm hard thinking one to it's do. not likely that this is going to be solved. <gasps> yeah. Steve. What? I, did you hear that? I yeah. did. Did anybody else notice that? Yeah. Joe well, just admitted that Joe we have did... not solved a mystery. Well, no, we solved it. Somebody <laughs> did it. I mean, it's like uh, at, at a high level, kind of, you know. Ooh. But as far as specifics, oh. no. I think that. I think that. Uh, no, no, it's okay. You, no, you, I, just, no, no, back no, 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 stop there. Team Sideways can break this thing wide open, but we need to go to Jennings in no. person. And Let's just stop. for that, we're going to we, need money, we, so you guys wait, wait, start no, no, sending no. us money. Joe, can we just go to Stonehenge instead? Oh. Yeah, if we're going to go someplace. That's a good point. Yeah, pick another one. Let's go to Hagley Woods. Let's Better. You okay. Go yeah, right, we'll, we'll, we'll go to one of those places. Okay. okay, so listeners, send us a bunch of money, and then we'll go there on the spot, and we'll really right. solve the crap right. well, out of this stuff. With that, we're going to wrap this up. So thank you, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you've enjoyed it, and we will bring another one to you next week. All right. Toodaloo, everybody. I'm sad I can't blame aliens this time. I'm not. It's not too late. Go ahead and blame them.
It was the aliens. All right. Yeti. <laughs>